This is a sermon given at St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas. Visit our website at stdave.org. Who is your king? Who do you want to be your king? I must confess that um, I am an avid watcher of the show on Netflix called The Crown. And if, if you haven't heard, season five of The Crown was recently released. And um, I'm also uh, uh, going to confess that I watched the new season in two days. Um, uh, but I will also say that I was uh, recovering from a pretty bad head cold at the time, so that's my excuse. Um, but the king that we celebrate today is unlike any king or queen portrayed in that show. Who is your king? Who do you want to be your king? These are the questions that were buzzing around in my head these past couple of weeks as I was preparing to preach to you today. It's in Luke's gospel, and only in Luke's gospel, that we encounter uh, Jesus's infant narratives. And in just a few short weeks, can you believe it? <laughs> we will again be hearing the story of this young unwed girl, Mary, who conceives and bears the incarnate God. It's a story of a young girl who then has to flee her native land and seek asylum and as a refugee in Egypt to keep her family safe from those who wish to kill her son. Try to wrap your head around that for a moment. This is how our God, God's incarnate self, chooses to begin the story. This is the story of our king, born in a manger amongst God's humble creation, the stable animals, and is then threatened by the powers that be, those that are in power in his country, so that then his family has to leave their home and depend on others for their safety until they can return. Is your mind blown yet? Because <laughs> that was just the beginning of the story, and it just gets better from here. This is our king, a king who from the beginning shows no supremacy at all, in this king, we see an image of God who doesn't arm himself with a sword, but rather a basin and a towel, who serves and does not expect to be served instead, who does not ride on a war horse or in a fancy chariot, but who instead rides on a lowly donkey. This is a king who searches high and low for every one of us and who beckons us to follow in his footsteps. In Luke's gospel in particular, but also in other gospels, we see a God, a king, who heals, who is the supreme healer, the lover, life giver, who self-empties himself in gracious love for all his people. A king of kings and lord of lords, who is servant of all, but most of all, friend to sinners. And Luke's gospel ends, not surprisingly, in the same way that it began, with our king now not lying in a manger, but rather lying on the hardwood of the cross, 
surrounded by two criminals and others who are taunting and criticizing him to prove himself the king of the Jews. And what those around him fail to realize is that his sacrificial death on the cross is actually the ultimate expression of the type of kingdom he's heralding in, the type of kingship he brings. You see, this is a king who refuses to conform to the expectations of our world, a king who refuses to rule by our limited vision of worthiness, nor our shallow understanding of what justice is. This king of ours is the exact opposite of what we see portrayed by most, if not all, of our worldly leaders. The exact opposite of what we see portrayed in shows like The Crown that tell the story of the kings and queens of our time. It is a king who is not content to rule from afar, but rather comes to meet us in our weakness and in our darkest needs. It is a king willing to embrace all, forgive all, redeem all, because that is his deepest and truest nature. So now that we know well and good who our king is, and looking at the story from that perspective, from the serving, self-sacrificing king, what choices will we make moving forward? Who is your king? How will we choose to enter this new church year we're about to herald in as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive this Christ child once again, God incarnate? The truth is that our citizenship in God's kingdom is shaped by the life of Christ and the Spirit of God who is always at work within us. And by virtue of our own baptismal covenant, which we all, if you were here a few weeks ago, renewed it, not just at the confirmations, but also at the baptisms we held about two weeks ago. And by virtue of that baptismal covenant, which we renewed, and the promises that we made, we're called to act to help build up that kingdom as well. We're called to proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ, to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves, to strive for justice and peace among all people, and to respect the dignity of every human being. I can't help but think of those baptismal promises we made and through the lens by which we are called to make decisions and we all know we all recently went and voted and did our elections, our civic duties, and elected new leaders and representatives of this country. And I can't help but find myself wondering what it means to bend the knee to a king who exchanged his crown for a cross. A king that has shown us that every act of love is an act of resistance to the forces of darkness of division and hate that we encounter almost daily in our world. We know that our country, our state, our communities continue to be divided on so many matters. And as I personally engage in strained conversations with other fellow Christians, with friends, and yes, even members of my own family who may think differently than I do, 
I sometimes struggle to honor my king who spoke words of blessing even in his darkest hour. As I hear people calling for a quick return to forgiveness and unity, I remember that grace in the crucified Christ kingdom is neither easy nor cheap. It cost the king his life after all. And when I'm faced with those who tell me to make peace at all costs, I'm trying to hang on to the fact that Jesus died because he made no peace with any kind of oppression. And when I'm tempted to sit back in apathy and use those words that we commonly hear, relax, God's in control. And although I actually fundamentally agree with that statement, I'm also reminded that Jesus' kingdom is incarnational through and through. And quite frankly, it can be a cop-out to expect God to act when we don't. So even as Jesus hung on the cross, he spoke hope to a thief who needed solace, and he hung between one man chastising him and another man's hunger for mercy, absorbing both of those into his own broken body. That is our king. And so my prayer for you today is that we all find ways to walk just like Jesus walked and to love like Jesus loved, to listen, to protect, to stand up for those who need our help, to endure and even to bless when we're having tough times. My hope is that we will all rise to the occasion and be the beacons and light bearers of the radical love that Christ has modeled for us. And starting next week, we will enter into the season of Advent once again, a season of waiting, of longing, of listening, holding firm to our vision of a better kingdom, a kingdom unlike any kingdom found in this world. We will walk into expectant darkness waiting for the light to dawn and straining to hear the first cries of new life. A new year begins, and with it, new life, new opportunities, and new hope. And when you enter this space next week, it will look very different than what it does today. Yes, your world would be turned upside down. You will be challenged to see things in a new light where the focus will be on who you, who we, as a community of believers, want to be. And so I challenge you all to be the light of Christ. And if you have declared that Christ is your one and only king, then live like that is the case, in thought, in word, and in deed, so that all who you encounter may see the reign of Christ reflected through our very lives, God's kingdom breaking in. Amen. You can find more lectures and sermons on iTunes by searching for St. David's Episcopal Church in Austin, Texas, or visit our website at stdave.org and click on the podcast button.